The following program is brought to you with support from the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, our annual holiday special, and this time, we head into territory that's fresh for us, an in-depth discussion of tequila. Yes, Mexico's favorite party drink and the big business it inspires. But first, Gabriela Conchola is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Cuba and the United States jointly announced plans to negotiate a resumption of normal relations. An historic move that would seek to repair more than 53 years of Cold War hostilities. Obama pledged to correct the thorny relations that have grown between the two countries during the past half century. I've instructed Secretary Kerry to immediately begin discussions with Cuba to reestablish diplomatic relations that have been severed since January of 1961. As a way to clear the air before the normalization of relations, both countries released prisoners. Cuba returned Alan Gross to the U.S. Gross is a contractor convicted on espionage charges who was imprisoned for more than five years. The U.S. released three spies to return to Cuba, the three remaining members of an intelligence team called the Cuban Five. Even though Obama will work to restore diplomatic relations, the U.S. Congress is the only body that can lift the economic embargo against Cuba. A group of about 30 indigenous men attempted to break into the National Congress building in Brazil armed with bows and arrows. Police blocked the indigenous protesters by using pepper spray. The indigenous protesters wanted to stop voting on a bill that would give the Brazilian Congress the power to demarcate indigenous lands and set their boundaries. The indigenous groups would like the Brazilian indigenous agency, FUNAI, to maintain its primary role in demarcating ancestral lands. But the main supporter of the bill says the FUNAI's role is undemocratic, stating all decisions about demarcations are made by a single anthropologist. Bolivia's president, Evo Morales, says the country's men in uniform need to get in shape. Yes, he thinks they're overweight. Bolivia's police forces responded to the president by ordering overweight police could not wear their official uniforms until they slimmed down. And members of the military won't be able to stand for promotion unless they meet certain weight requirements. But the crackdown may already be paying off. Two overweight policemen patrolling in civilian clothing have succeeded in catching thieves at a street market, apparently because they were out of uniform. For Latin Pulse, this is Gabriela Canchola. Thanks, Gabriela. And now on to our special on tequila. Tequila. Although tequila is regarded as the most popular alcoholic beverage in Mexico, it's home, Drinkers in the United States now consume more tequila than any other country in the world. Just a bit less than 32 million gallons annually. Mexicans consume about 20 million gallons in a year, still more than twice as much per capita than their neighbors to the north. That's a lot of tequila, and it's become big business in both countries. The Mexican sun gives us tequila. Tequila. 
it's so much fun when we drink tequila. <laughs> we sought out the expertise of Ramses Armanderes, a visiting professor at Webster University. Armanderes is an expert on the economics of tequila, and he's the co-author of The Tequila Puzzle, The Rise of Small Tequila Producers, a forthcoming article in the Latin American Academic Review. We have style. We drink tequila. When I was growing up, tequila wasn't like this like high-end product compared to cognac and these elements. Like tequila was something that was like uh, bought by blue-collar workers in Mexico because it was a uh, cheap access to, uh, to alcohol. After NAFTA came into play, the view of tequila completely changed. From being like this cheap product, all of a sudden, like, turned into like this expensive product that whose bottles like were standing next to cognac, next to brandy, next to like high-end spirits and stopped being accessible for the lower classes, like stopped being access- accessible for blue-collar workers. We don't assume that an economic treaty is going to have an effect on alcohol and alcohol culture. But in this case, the North American Free Trade Agreement has this particular impact. In fact, I believe that when the agreement was like uh, being signed, they kind of knew that it was going to have some effect on particular industries. And I'm going to tell you why. Like, North American Free Trade Agreement has like this special section, like that guarantees each country, each, each signing party, monopoly over certain products. So what are these products and which are the signing parties? The signing parties are Mexico, US, and Canada, okay? And this special section, like, said, okay, there are going to be, like, these products that are going to be distinguished by each country, and no other country can produce it, and we have to make sure that no other country can produce those products. So to Mexico, NAFTA gave the right to produce tequila and mezcal. To the U.S., it gave the right to produce bourbon and Tennessee whiskey. And to Canada, it gave the right to produce Canadian whiskey, which implies that Mexico cannot produce anything that is labeled as Canadian whiskey. The U.S. cannot produce anything that is labeled as tequila. And Canada cannot produce anything that is labeled as bourbon. Like, if you want to produce something that is labeled as bourbon, it has to produce in, it has to be produced in, in the U.S. That's why I believe that they knew that NAFTA was going to have some effect on these particular products. They had to make sure that like, they were protected. It's another tequila sunrise Staring slowly across the sky So, 20 years after NAFTA, the business of tequila demonstrates an interesting dichotomy. A consolidation of the market for high-volume producers, yet an opening in the market for more than 100 micro-distillers going after the lucrative high-end consumer. The high-volume producers want to appeal to those consumers too, but they still go after selling lower-grade tequilas that are destined to become margaritas. It's called the Big Four. Like, there are big four, like four big brands. Cuervo by far is the biggest. 
The second biggest is like maybe half the size of Cuervo. Cuervo is the only one of the big four producers of tequila still owned by Mexicans, the Beckman family. Herradura is now owned by Brown Foreman of Kentucky. Sousa is owned by Beam Santori of Illinois. Even Bacardi, a name usually associated with rum, has invested in tequila through the Casadores label. And it also has a large minority stake in the tequila brand called Patron. Diageo of London, the largest producer of alcoholic beverages in the world, completed a complex distillery swap last month with Cuervo. That deal netted Diageo $408 million and complete control of the high-end brand called Don Julio. Although some say Sousa's Tres Generaciones was the first significant high-end tequila, Armandetta's credits Don Julio with changing the appeal of tequila from a favorite of frat parties to the drink of the rich and powerful, a drink for sipping, not shooting. We all smile when we drink tequila. Don Julio came into play. It, it was started to being produced by Jose Cuervo and Daigio in a partnership, 50% and 50%. And it came out as a high-end product. Like, I remember my parents, like, Every time that they were like, oh, you want to have tequila? I, was, I won't have tequila as long as it is Don Julio. Because everyone knew that it was like the high-end product. So it was the first one to attack this sector. That was the first brand like aiming for middle high class. Like people that like, were going to college, were well-educated, started getting, like, uh, making more money than their parents. And they were like uh, trying to go to these like, up-trendy bars in New York City. That was the brand that started uh, attacking this sector. And did that brand start before NAFTA, mm-hmm. and NAFTA accelerated it, or was it, it started a about the same NAFTA? time? About the same time, it was like in the night in the 1990s. Like before that, like there was no high like uh, premium tequila. That 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 wasn't even a word premium tequila. Although the Don Julio brand was actually established by a private Mexican distillery seven years prior to NAFTA, that trade agreement brought investment interest from Canada's now defunct Seagram's. Diageo gained its stake in the brand when it bought some of the Seagram's assets. They still, they still market to like a, these like spring breaking like community. They still market to these like um, crazy drinkers that they just go like take three shots and just get hammered. They still market to that area. So in order to like attack this other sector, they built like these other brands. Even though they are still produced by tequila, by tequila Cuervo, like the name nowhere in the bottle is gonna be called like Cuervo. I'm gonna give you an example. Like an example is like uh, 1800. There is a tequila called 1800 that is like actually 100% agave, and like the taste is real good. I'm like it's good tequila, but it's still produced by Jose Cuervo. They just want to make sure that like uh, the person that is going to be paying like 50 bucks for a bottle of like uh, tequila 1800 does not confuse them and like be like, okay, I'm just getting something that like my daughter is getting like uh, when she goes to Cancun. No, no, like they want to make sure that like this person that is paying uh, $50, uh, $50 for a bottle like knows that he's getting like an 
upper like an upper high end tequila. The history of tequila stretches back into Mexico's indigenous past, a time when the Aztecs used the agave plant to distill a liquor called pulque. And as with most of Mexico, that changed with colonial times. Spaniards came, they kept going like on the ceiling of the agave because they saw like that it was getting distilled by the local community. By the 1800s, that's when we can start talking about like the first produ uh, production of tequila. And like it goes back to uh, Casa Cuervo. They are the first ones to actually like be making tequila in Mexico. Okay, like I think the market was the first one to actually receive a permit to produce like what was called tequila back then. Before that, like it was just like distilled spirits like coming from agave. Since those times, Cuervo and other Mexican producers have installed specific production requirements. Real tequila only comes from certified producers using the blue agave and only from certain Mexican states. High-end tequilas are 100% from blue agave and have certain aging requirements. The rise of small tequila producers, is that like the rise of the craft beer market yes. here in the United States? Yes. There is a, there, there is a problem like in economic theory, and it's that we focus a lot on the cost of production when we build our models. If everything is driven by cost of production, we cannot explain this rise of small producers right away. We need to embed some other element that we don't know yet what it is into our models to be able to predict what is happening in like these craft uh, producers of, of beer and these like uh, small producers of tequila. Like we still don't understand why it is happening. Some people argue that it's because like uh, tastes like in the United States have changed. Like all of a sudden like uh, it's becoming more trendy to drink something that was produced by a craft producer instead of like a massive producer. While this is true, when you embed that in a model, still doesn't capture the concept of this growth of small producers. We still like, we, we have embedded that idea. Like we have made like rich people consume many more varieties than poor people. And like our model still predicts that poor, like small producers would be wiped out by international competition. International competition came in and you see a lot of like small beer producers popping out. Even though like you're buying more Heineken coming from Holland, that's not stopping these small breweries from popping out. The same is with tequila producers. Now like micro micro distillers are specialized on making 100% tequila that is aged for a long time. So yes, there has been like this shift of like production from massive production into like craft production. When we return, Professor Armendarez takes us on a tequila tasting. The Latin Pulse Tequila Special will return in a moment. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life. An amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. 
Welcome back to the Latin Pulse Tequila Special. Before Ramsey's Armanderas of Webster University takes us on our tequila tasting, he has some advice. You like what I like to add is like you shouldn't follow like these rules that people tell you about like oh this is good tequila this is bad tequila. I think that anyone has their own tastes. For example, like what people tell me like oh this like uh, this is good wine. I actually don't like it. I don't like wine that has been like uh, aged for a long time because I like more like fruity tastes. People are the same in tequila in the tequila industry. Like I'm like just try them all and choose the one that you like the most. And so it was time to retire to a restaurant with a wide selection of top shelf tequilas, which also demonstrated one of the points Armandetas has made about how Mexican tequila producers are aiming their product directly at the U.S. You can find many more varieties of tequila in the U.S. than in Mexico, but many more. For example, like, out of like, there's this one, like, what they call the ultimate flight. The ultimate flight is like this, like, extra añejo tequila. The only one that you can find in Mexico out of these three varieties is Reserva de la Familia. Grand Mayan, it, the name is even in English. It wouldn't be like sold in Mexico even if they want to. It would be Maya Grande. Exactly. <laughs> when, you, when you drink like aged tequila, the way you're supposed to drink aged tequila is sipping. The, the way you're supposed to drink like a non 100% tequila is in a mixed drink, like <laughs> in a margarita. That's what a hundred, like uh, the mixed tequila, the one that is not a hundred percent, that's what it is for, like we can mix it. For mixed drinks. Yeah. Margarita, or maybe just straight. Tequila. When you need a kick, Añejo is great. Tequila. Reposado, silver, as long as it's pure. Tequila. One hundred percent agave. You gotta be sure. Tequila. I love tequila. For the tasting, Armandetta suggested comparing two different flights of tequila. One group of silver tequilas and another group of extra anejo. Tequilas aged for more than three years. Since we both feel that Don Julio is one of our favorites, let, let's start with the Don Julio. You go first, please. It, it does have a, a bit of fire water on the front, but then it's smooth after that going down. As I was saying, this type of like uh, of tequila, like the three of them, they try to compete also with the, with the sector of like whiskey and bourbon and high-end whiskey and high-end bourbon. And they have like kind of like a similar uh, flavor or kind of a similar feeling when you like pass it through. So, so try. Let me try it. Yeah, it doesn't have the harshness. The harshness of that you will feel in the tequila that hasn't been aged. But so for you, no harshness on the front? No. At all. No. So I had a little harsh on the front, but then very smooth after that. Oh, you're gonna have like a big harsh on the front then like with the other ones. Okay. Another thing to notice is that did you catch any of the flavor of agave? Not much. Try it try it again. Okay. And it's, you tell me if it tastes like agave or like wood. I'm not sure it tastes like either. It's supposed to get more of the flavor of the wood because it has been like uh, aged. Aged for a while. After a palate cleanse with the traditional sangrita, a tomato-based drink with spices, it was on to the next. Let's try the, the Grand Maya now. This is the darkest of all of the tequilas on the table. Oh, 
very different. No front at all. And yes, it tastes much more like a bourbon on the back end. It actually tastes like bourbon. Yeah. Like all the way through for you. Yeah. Old school drinkers. That's what they complain about. They're like, they're taking like these new varieties. They're more expensive and they're taking away the taste of agave. And what is the purpose of like tequila? If it doesn't taste, taste like agave. The third of the extra Anejo tequilas was the Jose Cuerva Reserva de la Familia, which Armanderas has said comes with its own context. Like the highest end level of like Jose Cuervo is called Reserva de la Familia. That one still keeps the name uh, Jose Cuervo, but when you see the bottle, you understand why it goes for, a for over $100. They have like a personal design of the bottle. The bottle like looks really nice. Like it comes in like a wooden box and it's like high tequila, like I, 100% agave, uh, it's been aged for over three years. So that's another way of like attacking this side of the market. Okay, so now I think it's time for La Familia. It's La Familia. Completely different than the other two for me. Not much fire at all on the front, okay. but the middle of it seems to have a warmth and then very smooth. I agree completely with that. Like, it's about when you have it like halfway through your tongue, when you feel like uh, the alcohol taste. You feel, but but not very strongly. No. It's just a very warm glow to it. Very appealing. Actually, for me, of those three, I like the La Familia the best. The best? Yeah, for me, I thought it was the best. Uh, I would have to say that the I go for Don Julio 1942. I'll go for Don Julio 1942. You're the traditionalist. I have a bottle of Don Julio at home, and it's one of my favorites, too. Okay. Next up, the silver tequilas. Silver means that it hasn't been aged, or it has been aged for less than three months. The first was Corso, a brand owned by Bacardi. Let's go for Corso, and I'll go okay. first. You go. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, right away, you can taste, that's a taste of agave. The steel spirit from agave tastes like, if you take, like, a mezcal, like some some tequila drinkers would kill me if I say that, but mezcal is gonna have like something similar too, because it is made with agave, not with blue agave, but like it's gonna have this like this feeling, this taste at the beginning. Then like it it gets smoother because it's good kind of tequila. Like if it was like non 100% tequila, you would feel like a lot of harshness as it goes through. These ones are not that harsh. Let me try. You're right, I can taste the agave immediately. And there is more of a sense of a spirit of, of stronger alcohol, both in the front and as it goes. But it's, but it's a very smooth. It's very smooth. Not as smooth as the others. No. But still, it has a smoothness that if I just got a bottle of Cuervo and had, <laughs> there would be a difference. No, then you would need like the lime and like the salt in order to get it through otherwise. To cut that. Yeah, to cut that flavor. Okay, are you ready for the Amate? Go first. No, 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 you're first. Okay. Then this round, you're With, first. Oh, that's this the one middle. is the Amate. The yeah, that's the middle. middle. It still tastes a lot like tequila, but I felt more like some fruity flavor as it was going through like some fruity taste. It was like how I perceived it, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna tell you what they've written here, and I, after I do my tasting, because I don't want to be influenced by 
what mm -hmm. what the bar has prepared That's what, yeah. you with. Now, I didn't get as much of the fruity flavor. I got a lot of alcohol in the front okay. for me. This was not as smooth, I think, as the Corzo. But I'm going to read what what I the bar has prepared like for us. They, they say earthy and herbal, buttery agave hint of vanilla with a floral, mild chocolate aftertaste. <laughs> I have to like say, fruits. I get none of the chocolate aftertaste. I got no vanilla. Maybe a little floral, but that would be it. You, I think, got more of the flavor that they intended on your tongue. Maybe. So I your don't tongue know. is probably better in the tasting than mine is. Are we ready now for the uh, avion? Sure. I, I go first. Okay. This one has also more like the taste of agave, and it's smoother than the previous one, than the amato one. Is it smoother than the first one? About the same, and I think that it has about the same taste of like uh, agave. You're gonna like, uh, I guess, it does taste more like agave. Actually, for me, this was the smoothest. Okay. Um, a little less agave for me than, than the other agave. two, but I might like this one to sip better mm. because it's less has a fiery front. It's more alcoholic in its taste than the more expensive ones, but it's, of the three for me, this was the smoothest. That last tequila in the Silver Flight was Avion, a brand owned by the French company Pernod Ricard, and it was preceded by Amate, a brand from the heart of tequila country in the Mexican state of Jalisco, and a distiller still owned by Mexican families. Old school uh, drinkers, they would choose silver tequila. New school drinkers, they would choose Extrañejo tequila. Well, the old school are saving a lot of money. <laughs> the old school are saving a lot of money. Let, let's check the menu here. But the more expensive flight of tequila About twice was $32. And the silver flight was almost half as much, $17. Yeah. So it tells us that if you want the higher quality, you're going to pay almost twice as much. Not everywhere in Mexico you can produce tequila, just like not everywhere in the U.S. you can produce Tennessee whiskey. Um, for example, the name of tequila is this region in the state of Jalisco, and that's like where the name of tequila comes from. And that's where tequila started, actually. Like Jose Cuervo, like all these, like all distilleries, they were based there. The area where tequila is, is called Los Altos, which means highlands. Los Altos, Jalisco. The land in Los Altos, Jalisco, it's like volcanic red color. And it's like, uh, according to like the people that raise the agave there, it's the best land to raise agave. Now, other regions in the country can produce tequila as well. So it is mostly the whole state of Jalisco and regions in the state of Guanajuato, state of Nayarit, state of Michoacán, and the state of Tamaulipas. In some regions of these like uh, states that I told you about, you can you can raise blue agave. The one that you can use to make a tequila is called blue agave. Now there are like over 150 varieties of agave, or even more. Okay, but you can only make use one for tequila, and it can only be grown in these areas. For the record, our tasting only produced mild intoxication 
and no hangovers. That concludes our special program on tequila, featuring Ramses Armanderes, a visiting professor at Webster University. We send thanks to Milagro, a Mexican restaurant and bar in Webster Groves, Missouri, which allowed us to record our tequila tasting session. And one final word during this holiday season. If you're drinking, please drink responsibly and remember designated drivers and taxis. And now a programming note, Latin Pulse will be offline as we celebrate the holidays, we'll be back with our regular Friday program next year on January the 2nd. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx. That's Latin Pulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, producer Jim Singer. And associate producer Gabriela Canchola, I'm Rick Rockwell. Feliz Navidad y Prospero Año Nuevo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support from Webster University and through the support of Link TV. This program is copyright 2014, Los Rocas Productions. The preceding program was brought to you with the support of the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University.